In the haunting month of May 1933, a cataclysmic tragedy unfolded on a desolate Siberian island known forevermore as Dezino Island. The appalling events that transpired during this period would etch themselves indelibly into the annals of history, leaving an indescribable scar on the collective conscience. It was on this forsaken isle that thousands of Soviet prisoners were callously exiled, stripped of any tools, supplies, or knowledge, and left to their own devices. These unfortunate souls were coerced into settling on Nazino Island, ostensibly to establish a new type of gulag where they were to cultivate crops for the benefit of the state. However, this grand experiment quickly spiraled into a heartrending disaster as multitudes perished not merely due to exposure to the brutal cold or diseases, but at the merciless hands of their fellow captives, who saw desperation as an opportunity for savagery. everybody to nwczradio.com channel one's down the rabbit hole my name is big d and i'm brandon brandon survived an hour and 45 minute marathon show from the midweek i did <laughs> dude when i saw that posted and i saw the timestamp on there it's like did he just like fall asleep and leave the tape rolling what what happened there <laughs> it was tempting um no it's like i said i i told everyone when i did that the last manifesto episode i'm like the next one i do will be the final one that's the last one i'm doing i'm, I'm gonna finish it no matter what it takes and it, it was an hour and 45 yeah i um, listened to it it was great it was it was nice to get a conclusion and i thought it was well done so don't be afraid of the timestamp or cut or if you don't have all the time listen to it in bits and pieces it's worth your time it is i mean it's one of those things i mean i've had that conversation with a few people now who are where it's if you want to have fun Send it, send it to a friend and don't tell him what it is and then ask their thoughts. And he is spot on on so many things. He's wrong on a few, but he's spot on on where we were headed. Well, we're all wrong on a few. I mean, even, we're wrong yeah. on here sometimes, but it is scarily uncanny how he saw into the future. And no wonder he was freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, the hard part with him, though, is it's it's that catch-22. He went too far by killing people, which takes away all of his credibility. But we never would have read it if he hadn't. So it's a catch-22. Do I agree with him killing people? No. But his message never would have got out otherwise. But because he did kill people, it completely takes away any credibility he had on the message. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. So before we get into today's show got to give a little warning to those of you out there who may have kids around this is not kid friendly today it's not sexually explicit in any way but we're dealing with a topic today that is uh, sensitive yes very much so 
I would also just caution you if you are a bit squeamish and or just ate, you might want to wait to <laughs> roll this podcast because of the subject. This is a real event. We're not doing this mm-hmm. for, for sensationalism. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from what we're about to talk about today. I just wanted to give a little heads up there that if you have kids around, maybe just put the headphones on. If you're a little squeamish about certain things, you might either want to wait or delay or maybe maybe not even listen at all. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's a tough one, but it's one of those ones that we have to talk about. We have to let people know what happened. This is something that not our government, but a government did to their people. And how quickly things can go from really bad to, oh my God. Yes. If you've listened to me on the midweek at all, you know I've talked an awful lot about Alexander Solzhenitsyn and his epic book, The Gulag Archipelago. It's three volumes. It's a life changer. I highly recommend you read it. Yeah. This is in the same time frame as that. So this is around 1933. The way we're going to present this is we're going to tell you kind of what was going on. We're going to lay out the framework of it before we get to actually what happened. Because it all goes together. And the entire story, which is a true story, mm-hmm. is a horror show from beginning to end. Every step along the way. This could have been stopped. It never needed to happen. But the powers yeah. that be in their own government refused to stop. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Joseph Stalin is. He was the leader of the Soviet Union from 1928 to 1953. He created a lot of these camps known as prisons and gulags. However, what a lot of people don't know or have been kept because so much focus has been on these gulags and so forth, is they came up with this idea of forced settlements. And there was a Mm -hmm. several fold reason why they called it forced settlements. A, it sounded better. If you got sent to a forced settlement, you could live with your family and you could move around a little more freely than a gulag. A lot of times it was way out in Siberia or on some island somewhere. And a lot of times there weren't even guards there. You were just basically sent there to either make it or not. Yeah. One of the problems with being deported to one of these is if you were sent to any of the gulag prisons or the four settlements, you were stripped of all your rights basically as a citizen. And should you make it out and make it back into society... You couldn't hold certain jobs. You could not pick up where you left off. You were a second-class citizen, and you were treated as such because you had to have done something wrong. You were sent out, and if anybody showed you any mercy or sympathy, they would probably get ganked up and sent off because they would assume, oh, well, we got the wrong person or they're in the same mindset or they're conspiring, and so we got to take them. So you were basically, if you made it back, you were on your own. 
Yeah, if you made it back, you're on your own. And more than likely, if you made it back, they were going to round you up and send you to another one anyway. Because um, once you were out there, it was I, I, I couldn't find anyone that they marked them, but it was easy to tell who it was. It was pretty much once you'd been out there, you would be basically marked as, hey, this is a, a bad person. It's kind of like, you know, in the old days with pirates where they, you know, basically brand them saying, hey, you are, this is a bad person. So if anyone saw that on your arm that you had the, the P as a pirate, oh, he's a pirate. He's a bad person. You know, there was no second chances. Right. If you don't know anything about Siberia, and, and maybe you've heard a bit about it, but Siberia, besides being absolutely brutal, obviously, was in the middle of nowhere. So even if you were to escape, there's nowhere to go. No. And when it wasn't absolutely frozen tundra it was a swampy mucky murky mess that you couldn't even move around on yeah. water if you've ever been to saskatchewan <laughs> for those of you in canada you know what i'm talking about you get up above the freeze line it's either frozen tundra or when it melts off you can't walk anywhere it's just boggy and swampy and messy it's tough that's why many of the people that came from villages that lived up in that area, which there was a line where pretty much villages usually didn't go past. Um, they were very sturdy, very strong, very – they were people that could make stuff out of nothing because a lot of stuff didn't grow out there. It was tough to grow things. It was tough to have animals. It was tough to do any of that. It was tough to survive. Right. In February of 1933, the head of the Soviet – secret police and the head of the gulag system they both came to joseph stalin with this proposal for a quote new labor camp and the proposal was for two million people to be deported to siberia to form these special settlements so these settlements were created to bring two million five hundred thousand acres of unsettled quote virgin land into self-sufficient productive towns that would contribute to the welfare of the Soviet Union, meaning they were supposed to go up and farm these lands. They were supposed to grow things, and they were supposed to harvest crops, and, and this was all going to be for the collective good of the nation, and they were going to be the free workers. Here's the crazy thing. It actually worked in one situation, which is why they came up with this crazy scheme. Yeah, it worked in like one, but the big problem that you run into, like I said, when you're up in Siberia, it's very tough to make anything grow, very tough to do thing. Most places that had these, these were villagers that lived there their entire lives and knew how to do this. Right. Most of these people that they're sending did not have this knowledge. No, this group that you're talking about, they were called the Kulaks or a Kulak. They were peasants, mm -hmm. but they were peasants who under the system before Stalin took over, they actually had their own farmland and they um, hire workers. But because of this collectivization system that was being set up, they took over the Kulak's farms and deported all of them to different areas of Siberia. Well, these are crafty people, these Kulaks. Mm-hmm. And after two years, they had become self-sufficient. But like you said, they were farmers and they knew the land better than anybody around there. And it was a surprise, it was a surprising success. And so they were like, well, if they can do it, 
anybody can do it. We've got all this land in Siberia, so let's just start shipping people up there. And, and and like we said, that's the difference. The Kulaks, they knew how to do this. They were farmers. That would be like us taking a bunch of kids out of Houston and taking them out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Iowa, and saying, here, grow corn. And do it properly and at the same pace that the people who have been doing it for generations so that we have enough to ship around the United States so that we don't all starve. But we're not going to show you how. We're not going to give you the correct resources to do this. We're just going to drop you off in the middle of nowhere and say, figure it out. Yeah, no tools, no nothing. No. In fact, I read this. I thought this was interesting. When the Soviet authorities sent the Kulaks initially up there, their thought was that they were too stupid to be able to survive in the middle of Siberia. And they were shocked when not only did they plant farms, cultivate it. They also built shelters and little houses. They, they survived. Yeah. So this spurred the plan going forward. So that brings us to Nazino Island. And let's talk a little bit about how they rounded people up because I have talked about this before in referring to Solzhenitsyn, but what they did was they went to the prime cities in Russia, St. Petersburg, Moscow. And if you were walking along and one of the guards or one of the servicemen walked up and asked for your ID papers. Mm -hmm. Show me your papers. If you happen to not have them on you, there were no questions asked. You were gone. Mm hmm. And if somebody was walking alongside of you with you and they said, hey, man, what are you doing? Why are you harassing this guy? They were gone, too. There were times when they would just swoop into an open air market. And just round up the entire market and make them all show their papers. And anybody who was associated with whoever didn't have their papers, they were gone. They would go door to door. Mm -hmm. So. It's the equivalent of, let's say Brandon and I go to a concert and we're walking in and there's the police or the National Guard or the Army. And they said, hey, excuse me, can we see your ID? And I say, well, I left it in the car. I didn't think I was going to need it for the concert. They yank me and I'm gone. And if, and Brand if I say anything I'm like, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on here? I'm with him. Yeah, even if you have your papers, because they assume I'm... Anti a troublemaker. Yeah, I'm anti-establishment. I'm a troublemaker. And you're guilty by association or by defending me. Yeah. I question their authority. And and that was it. It was pretty much that's where a lot of people, like, you know, with some of these, people have tried to say, oh, well, these were criminals and everything else that they sent there. But they were criminals by the the, the government at that time by their definition. And there were criminals among these detainees. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, it's like now, there are people who drive without a driver's license. There are people who walk around who you know, have never registered anything. They don't even have a social security card. Yeah. And they're bank robbers and they're living under the radar. Whatever they're doing, they're, you know, not good people, selling drugs, whatever. They also got yanked up along with their university professor 
or a teacher or a minister or the mm. shopkeeper. They were all rounded up and thrown on the train. And what it was like, sometimes it would take a week yeah. for them to reach the destination of Nazino Island. And that becomes important later because during that week, you can imagine they throw all these people either in trains or whatever. These aren't great conditions. It's not, you're not on an Amtrak. You're pretty no. much in a cattle car. And they might be putting, like throwing food through the freaking the, the slots. That's it. And also I mean, what they were doing is because it would start stinking. There's no bathrooms, no nothing. And they would pull into these train stations and they would hose them down through the slats in the cattle car. Mm -hmm. And you're going into Siberia. So it's getting colder and colder and colder. And a lot of people were frozen solid by the time they got there. Yeah. Kids were there. This wasn't just adults. These were. No, it was. It was basically it comes down to it's one of those things and it's something we've talked about before. It was the undesirables is what it comes down to. It's whoever the government at that point decided was the undesirables. They were the ones sent. And that's the part that, you know, we've been talking about forever. Who decides who's the undesirables? How do we know that at one point we might be considered the undesirables because we question things? Because we would be right now, if this was 1933 and we were in Russia, we would be on those trains. Oh, we'd be gone. Yeah, we'd absolutely. Gone. We'd be on these train, those trains. Because we question. We don't just blindly follow. Nazino Island is where the bulk of this story is going to take place. It is this tiny island on the Obi River. It's 500 miles north of the city Tomsk. It's only one point nine miles long so it's under two miles and only 660 yards wide and if you go on youtube you can see it it's still there mm -hmm. it's swampy it's desolate it's an island so if you wanted to get away a it was tough and b there's nowhere to go yeah and the thing remember too this is 1933 so it's not like they could walk off the island go steal a car and drive it the 500 miles to whatever the town was you get off the island, you get to the other, you know, get to the mainland, per se, off, the, you know, whatever. You have 500 miles you have to walk in Siberia to the nearest town. And who knows if they'll even accept you because, you know, if they're the closest town, there's going to be informants, there's going to be guards, there's going to be soldiers. You're pretty much toast. Yeah. So these people who wound up at Nazino were obviously prisoners. There were criminals involved in these this group of people, city residents, and they were deemed by the state people of such a low social class that they lacked class consciousness. And they were sent to this Nazino Island to be as far away as possible. Basically, they were sent there to die. Yeah. They're not going to say that. No. They were sent there to start a colony. Right, and to That's farm. That's what they're going to tell you. And, and, and to farm. farm. To, for, the, for the good of the nation, you're going to farm this area. Yes, it's always for the good of the nation. So on May 18th, 1933, the first group of deportees, and according to records, there were about 22 women and 4,556 men who arrived on the island. Mm-hmm. By the time the barges arrived at the island, 
27 people had already died, and over a third of the deportees were unable to stand due to weakness. So they're starving, they're frozen, they're in shock, malnutrition, you name it. And that's just when they got there. That's just when they got there, right. On May 27th, 1,200 more deportees arrived along with, now look, that's from May 18th, May 27th, so about a week later. And for the first time, food arrives. But this food is basically 20 tons of flour. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about flour in containers where everybody gets in a line and they, they get their, their, their little flour packet and they go off and they cook a meal. No, these 20 tons were just dumped on the bank because the, yeah. guards, the guards were in the boat. They didn't even step on the island. No. They just got everybody off and then threw all this flour onto the banks and a complete melee and frenzy unfolds. And, of course, the strong are in there, and they're grabbing everything they can. And people were so hungry, they were eating the flour dry. And so, so mm-hmm. a lot of them choked and died. Others were balling it up in their hand, dipping it in the river, and eating it that way. It was complete chaos. And a lot of people didn't get any. Or they got killed because they had some. So we have a Lord of the Flies situation going on here. According to this article, when this fight broke out about the flour, the guards fired at the starving deportees and relocated the flour to the other side of the island, but all the same, the fight continued. So to prevent riots over food, people were chosen to deliver the flour rations to groups of 150 people. So they're like, well, we can't have this huge melee. We've got, you know, whatever, 2,000 people here now. So we're going to bundle them up into the this 150 routine sounds good but most of the people who were criminals would beat the living daylights out of the others in their group so bad that they would some of them would beat them to death and they would hoard this flower for themselves here's the thing remember too they had nothing to do with the flour. They had no stoves, no ovens. They didn't even have shelters. They had nothing. What are you going to do with 20 tons of flour? Right. It's not like they dropped off loaves of bread. No. It was straight sacks of flour. And they didn't even put it in sacks. They just poured it on the, the, the bank. Also, according to this article, it wasn't just the food that was the issue on Nazino. The 6,000 deportees were dropped off with what they were wearing when arrested. No tools, no building materials, nothing was given to these inhabitants. The lack of materials meant no shelter, scant if any food, and the guards across the river with guns would shoot anyone who tried to swim across the freezing Obi River. So day in and day out, you have nothing but lawlessness. Yeah. Some of these gang members were going around. Well, a lot of them were going around and beating people, 
and then checking to see if they had gold in their teeth. And if they did, they would just yank it out. Mm -hmm. They were collecting gold from the teeth of the people on the island. They were raping the women and the kids. Think about how outnumbered these women are here. Oh, big time. Anybody that stood up, these thugs, these, these gang guys, because there were trees, and I did see this. There was a historian, a, a Russian historian, and it was translated. They did find on the island these makeshift clubs and things they used to tie people to trees, string them up, and so forth. So we're not talking about a pleasant situation here. And the guards are sitting across the river watching all of this unfold. That's really disgusting. Also, according to this, the small amounts of flour each person received couldn't be baked because, of course, there were no ovens. Instead, people mixed water from the river with flour to make a paste-like meal. Unable to boil so you could decontaminate it, many people on the island developed dysentery, which is not a huge thing these days. Not a lot of people get dysentery, but dysentery, let's just say, you're, you're toast. Yeah. I mean, you're weak. Your guts are spilling out everywhere. You can't move. You're basically inoperable and you want to die. If the people of the island didn't die from dysentery, they began to die from the spread of typhus or other diseases. Or authorities hunting the starving deportees. Murder was rampant and occurred during the fights about food, money, and dead bodies with gold fillings and crowns that could be looted. Also, people died from starvation, hypothermia exposure, exhaustion. And when they finally could, they figured out how to build a fire. People would fall asleep in front of the fire because it was so cold and they would burn to death. Yeah. Because they would be too close or they would roll in or they were so weak they couldn't get away and they would literally cook. Nah, this sounds horrible. Right, and then there's a side story, and this, I'm going to just set it up because it's going to come into play here in a moment. That There was a guard who, I don't know how or why, started courting or dating one of the young ladies on the island. I assume, I don't know, but most everything I read or saw about this was that obviously she was probably giving him favors, if you know what I'm saying. No, probably to kind of stay alive and have protection and everything. And he started hanging out on the island basically as a personal bodyguard. Everything else was going on, but he was there protecting her Yeah, because the idea was, Hey, when this all shakes loose and you guys are all released, we'll be together. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to figure too, is, I mean, like we said, the nearest town is 500 miles away i'm sure dating wasn't easy for the guards so i mean hey you know if you read solzhenitsyn he talks about the women in the gulags and what they had to put up with what they had to do to survive and a lot of times they were in the gulags with their husband with their kids with their fathers and what was done to them was absolutely horrible 
by the guards and or sometimes they these women if you've ever seen sophie's choice sometimes you just got to make a choice and they would choose to do this to save their own skin so to speak so you're put into a situation and, and look we can all sit back and go man i would never do that i wouldn't allow this to happen i would step in i feel the same way but on some level try to put yourself in this situation it is survive or die those are the only options no other option yeah and i mean that's that's you get that all the time oh i would never oh you would never i would never oh no 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 no. that would never happen until you're put in that situation and you have to make the hard choice where it's like hey you're gonna die unless you do this thing that you said you would never do so either die by your principles or survive and that's what it comes down to and so given that scenario, you're on this island, it's hell, people are starving, everybody's starving. E- even the flour is not enough. Those who got yeah. it. The, the thing is, though, with the flour is, like I said, what are you going to do with it? If, you, if someone came up to you right now and you had nothing else and just handed you a handful of, of flour, which is pretty much what they got, yep. because they didn't have containers to carry it in, and said, here you go, survive. Yeah, And you may not even get it. Yeah, Someone may hand it to you and then you're knocked out and you don't have it anymore. And I mean, I wouldn't know what to do with just a handful of flour. No. There's no nutritional value in just that. No. So, people are dying on the island, and those that are living have to make a choice. How do we survive? How do we eat? And some of them made the choice to eat the others. And so, we're going to tell you a few stories here, and these are true stories. These are well-documented. Mm-hmm. And before you pass judgment, and again, I'm not condoning cannibalism. No way, no how. Me personally, I can just tell you right now, I would not have done it and I would have died. I'm just not going to partake in this. But I'm not going to pass judgment on anybody on this island given the circumstances that they were in. You say that until you're starving. And the impossible odds that they were facing. See, and that's the hard thing. I mean, it's one of those things that... I would love to say that I don't think I would do it, but I don't know. I mean, once you're starving and you, you get hungry, um, it's one of the things that I've studied that this stuff the, from the movie alive, the rugby players that all he's stuck in the, the mountains and South America and everything like that. And one of the things that they talk about, and even like a Catholic priest basically absolved him and said, you did nothing committed, no sin. You survived. God wants you to survive. So by eating the people that were already dead you survived and that's what you're supposed to do and that becomes a very hard one to to debate in your head though like by not eating technically you're committing suicide was the argument that a lot of them came up with so it's like "Mm -hmm." so that part i can get behind that debate what i can't get behind is the other things that happen and that's the, that's the thing. There are two, there's different things. Like when you talk about the alive, that's cannibalism for survival. 
what starts to happen on the island is I think in the beginning for some, it was survival. Others, it was pure, they're just evil people. And it became sport. Yeah, it became sport. And did you know, I found out um, cannibalism is not legal in the U.S. except for in Idaho. Isn't that where Donner's Pass is? I think so. <laughs> but it's not illegal in any state. But it's indirectly because desecration of a corpse is illegal. All right. But the actual consumption of human flesh is not illegal. Well, here's a couple of accounts of what came down through the records. Yeah. Here's a, an account of a 13-year-old girl. She was the girlfriend of the guard. And when he left, so he was on the island, he's watching her, but he had to go somewhere off the island. When he left, people grabbed the girl, they tied her to a tree, and they stabbed her to death. And they ate everything they could. They cut off her hands, her calves, her breasts, her buttocks, her thighs, stripped her bare. I mean, just... Mm-hmm. did everything according to the accounts when people were asked about this they said well they were hungry and they wanted to eat all over the island one could see human flesh being ripped cut and hung on trees the clearings were littered with corpses and see the hard part is, is that's one of the cases it sounds like from a lot of stuff i read the first few cases were people that were killed like when they showed up or people that had been shot when the guards, you know, um, opened fire. So it seemed like that originally it was people that were dead, but then they started killing for sport. Yes, actually, I mean, originally, I think one of the early accounts was it was one of the people who died by the fire. Yeah. And they, for whatever reason, I don't get this, but one of the things that they, the, they, they went for first on this island were people's calves. They would cut their calves. They would cut their calves off, and then they would basically put them on a stick. I would think the buttocks or the thighs would be like more meat. I'm not even going to get into that. (laughs) Yeah, it is weird though. But I mean, here here's the thing too: is the one thing is too is what I want to remind everyone: we're not talking two weeks, a month in. The first people that started getting eaten were three days. But this comes back to what we mentioned earlier, where it took a week to get there. So these people had already been starving. They'd been sprayed with water. They'd been beaten, everything else for a week. And then they got there. And then they were, once again, given nothing. So they were there for basically three days before they resorted to cannibalism. Which, I mean... I could, I mean, and it sounds bad to say this, but imagine you haven't eaten in a week and a half, and suddenly someone gets catches on fire and starts burning. That smell of burning meat, of cooking meat. I well, mean, they're probably delusional. They're mm-hmm. tired. They probably haven't slept. They're freezing. They're not even in their right minds. No, and all of a sudden they get that smell of cooking meat, which I've heard that it, it smells like ham. According to another account, there was uh, once an old woman who came from Death Island, and I'm reading this account. She showed up at a house, 
and she was cold. And the proprietor of the house said, I saw the old woman's calves had been chopped off. And when I asked her, she said, yeah, they were cut off on Death Island and grilled. All the flesh on her calves had been cut off, which is why she claimed that she was so cold because she didn't have any insulation on her legs. So they did that while she was alive. Yeah. And, and somehow she survived. There was a few cases of that. There's another famous case. He was one of the thugs, one of the gang members who survived. And they were interviewing him when all of this went down and it got found out. The word was getting out and it was becoming a black eye on Stalin. So anyway, they brought this guy in and they asked him about what went on. And did you steal gold teeth? Yes. Did you beat people? Yes. Did you eat human meat? And he said, no, I never did that. I only ate hearts and livers. And they said, how did you eat hearts and livers? Well, when they were dead, we'd cut them out and we would put them on a stick and roast them over a fire. So I never ate human flesh, he claimed. Don't know how he comes to that rationale, but that's where his mind was. Hmm. There was a member of the district committee of the Communist Party. And he was sent to the labor settlement on this uh, Nazino Island in July of 1933 to report on, quote, how successful and productive the camp was. And once the higher-ups had begun hearing horror stories about Nazino Island from the survivors, he switched from writing a report full of Soviet propaganda and instead started investigating what was happening on Nazino Island. And this report was based on testimonies of around a dozen Nazino Island survivors. Once it reached the Kremlin, a special commission was created to investigate what happened more intensively. The special commission found 31 mass graves with 50 to 70 bodies in each one. The commission also found that out of the estimated 6,000 deportees who arrived, 4,000 had died. As a result of this report and the investigation, over 80 deportees and guards were prosecuted by the Kremlin. 23 people received sentences of capital punishment for what was listed as, quote, looting and assault. And 11 people were charged with cannibalism. And it wasn't until the late 1980s, just before the whole collapse of the Soviet Union, that people even learned about Nazino Island. Oh, yeah, they hit it good. It was due to Gorbachev's policy, which pushed for more, quote, openness and transparency from the government. That's the only way people found out. Other, other than that, it was a myth. It was a tall tale. The locals knew about it. Those who survived it knew about it. People on the inside knew about it. Nobody else knew. Yeah. And you say, well, that's the Russians. Germans did that to the Jews and the gays and anybody else they didn't like. We came close right here in America. No, America would never. You do not hear about this much. 1942 to 1944, during World War II, 125,000 Japanese were interned. In California, Arizona, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, and Arkansas. And 
it was not pleasant for them. Now, it wasn't this, but when was the last time you heard about that? People don't talk about it much. There's a lot of lessons here. A lot. A, your government, our government, can turn on you on a dime. And you could wake up one day and be the enemy. So we've got all these political parties right now yammering back and forth because we have elections coming up and they're terrible, they're terrible, they're the problem, they're the problem. This guy's a dictator, that guy's a dictator, on and on and on. This rhetoric, I'm not going to say it's going to lead to this, but it very well could. Yeah. Easily. Like I said, these people were sent there were criminals, quote unquote. Some of them were real criminals. Other ones were just criminals because what they were doing was deemed illegal by their government. And that's all it takes to be a criminal. What you're doing now, some of us, what we do for a living, was illegal years ago. Any bartenders out there, what you're doing was illegal in the, you know, the 30s. You would have gone to jail for doing your job. So it really depends on who's making the rules and who's making those decisions on what's criminal. And what's going to get you sent to the work camp for being a criminal because you posted the wrong thing on Facebook because you disagreed with your government officials. Who knows? It is happening. There are places around the world right now. Like you said, if you put the wrong thing on Facebook or X, you're going to get a knock on the door. Now you may yeah. not be sent to Nazino Island yet because we haven't ramped it up enough, but up until this point, nobody had been sent there either. And they didn't even find out about it. You go from 1933 to 1980 before the general populace knew anything about it. And how did that happen? Because most of them died. And the ones who did live, most of the people thought, oh, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're that crazy. Think about this. One thing is like we've talked about World War II and we've talked about their internment camps. There are still people in Germany that say, no, no, that never happened because they actually believe it. They didn't know that the internment camps were as bad as they were until people found them and walked in. They said, no, there is no way a government would do that to their people. Yeah, certainly not ours. Yeah, no, our government would never. I mean, you know, we might talk this or that and we might, you know, they might arrest somebody here or there and trump up some charges or something like that but it will never get to this point oh yeah and, and there's so many times that you get that all the time people are like oh our government would never i can show you and we can show you go back and listen to some of our episodes about some of the things that it's proven that our government has done to our people never anything this bad we didn't did they so far not that we know of did they turn anyone into cannibals that we know of, they, but they've experimented, yeah. they've rounded people up, they've injected people, they have dr driven people crazy, they've stalked people. Our government has done horrendous things to its own citizens. So has Canada, so has Australia, so mm -hmm. is England, so has Scotland, so is Ireland. And we can go through the whole thing. You're like, no, we're, we're the Western world. 
all in the name of the better good. Yes. And that is, that is the phrase that scares me the most. And I don't care which party says it, but when they say this is for the better good, the common good, so many different ways that they say it. I mean, Hey, maybe we have done it. Maybe that's what's really under Montauk. We don't know. But so it's a tough story. It is. There's a silver lining. People did find out about this. And every year over there on the Zeno, the locals go on to the either they built a cross and they built a church, a little church there that you can go and pray at. And I've watched videos of people actually going over to this and laying a wreath and paying respect. But every year, people go over there and they do remember what happened. And that's why we decided to do this because people need to remember that these things, and this specifically, they have happened. And they cannot ever happen again. No. It's one of the things like, you know, I had a conversation with a friend about this the other day when I was talking about how they're trying to hide the things that our government had done in the past, the past and say, oh, we shouldn't talk about this because we don't want people to, you know, feel bad or do whatever, or blah, blah, blah. If you don't teach people about what happened in the past, it will happen again. If you do not learn from it, it will happen again. And if we don't watch what our government's doing, it will happen again. This island will happen again in a different place, a different time, and everywhere else. And everyone says, oh, no, that couldn't happen nowadays. That couldn't happen. Yeah, easily. This is the one we know about. There was another article that I was reading about this. And in the report of the, the guy who was investigating it at the time wrote, the grass on the island was head high. So it's tall. Mm-hmm. But locals who went there to gather berries returned after discovering corpses in the grass and stick shelters full of skeletons. So there's dead everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it was Death Island. And now it's become known as Cannibal Island or the Nazino Affair. It is a horrific story. And what I don't understand, and I mean, I guess I do because I see it. I see it in our country and it really concerns me is this idea that there's nothing we can do there's way more of us than there are of them mm-hmm. and Solzhenitsyn said it several times uh, he would go on these long thought processes of first they came for the banker and we did nothing then they came for the professor we did nothing then they came for the shopkeeper we did nothing then he came for my neighbor we did nothing and then he came for me and there was nobody to do anything yeah and everybody seems frozen in fear of those in power and those the, the, the authority. And we're so beaten down and brainwashed by these people that there's nothing you can do. We are the authority. And we watch it happen. We see things go on. And we just keep our head down. And we keep going. And it's like, thank, thank goodness that's not me. But eventually it may and probably will come to us. Eventually. And so there's got to be a game plan. Like I'm a big proponent for having a community 
that you hang with, that you that you're in touch with one another, that you know you have each other's backs, that if something goes down, they will cover for you and you will cover for them. Life or death kind of situation. Whether mm-hmm. it be they provide food, they provide shelter, they provide hiding, they will go to battle for you, you'll go to battle for them. Whatever it is, you have to have that. And I think also people are so afraid of death and I get it. I understand. Yes, death is super duper scary and nobody wants to die and I don't want to die. But no. To me, I'm not afraid of death. I don't want it to be painful. I don't want to go through a painful dying process. But if death comes my way, I'm ready for it. I'm prepared for it. And death itself doesn't scare me. But I think that is what holds everybody back. I agree. I think it is too. And I think that the thing is for me, I mean, it's like the old saying, do you want to die fighting or do you want to die just doing nothing? And if I'm going to die, I'm going to die fighting. I agree. I get it too. I understand. Like, if let, let's say, I don't know. Let's say a, a army jeep rolls by and goes to my neighbor's house, and I don't even I don't know what's going on. I don't know if they're just visiting. It's friends of there, whatever. And then later, I find out, no, they came and rousted them out of their house. They put them in the back of the jeep, and they're gone, and we don't know where they went. So I understand there's going to be some. I'll just say collateral damage there are going to be those who disappear first to kind of wake everybody up like wait what's going on but once you get to that point and this was this was the point of a lot of these people on the island who survived these this was the point of Solzhenitsyn and others who lived through the gulag process and this roundup same thing in Germany round just randomly rounding people up mm-hmm. once people figured out what was going on and they cognitively knew what this was and what was happening and they stood idly by every single one of them say i wish to god we would have done something yeah and so this is kind of a wake-up call because we're in 2024 and i'm not saying this specific thing is going to happen but if you read all the signs from the world economic forum which i'm going to talk about on the midweek to the rhetoric of our government, to the rhetoric of lots of governments. You see what happened to the truckers in Canada. You look what happened to these the people from January 6th. Look at all of this stuff. We're not that far away from something like this happening. To where they're like, they're the bad people, them right there, that group. And people going, yeah, I think things would be a lot better if we just got rid of them. That mm-hmm. is so dangerous. It is it's such a lack of freedom, such a lack of free thought, free expression. And I'm not talking about, oh, there's a group of pedophiles over there. We should <laughs> we should back them up, support them. I'm not talking about no. that. I hope you see the difference here. We're talking about people who are just living their life, who are doing their thing. Maybe they don't agree with you politically. Maybe they are conspiracy theorists, quote unquote. Maybe they don't think exactly like you and they read books that you wouldn't go near. Who cares? Who cares? That is the biggest thing right now is we see it so much 
and so much division in our world right now. If you don't think and act the exact same way as everybody else, then you're a problem. Oh, you know, I, I believe this. Oh, you don't believe the same as me? Oh, you are the problem. And like you said, how long until it says, okay, well, I think everybody that believes this needs to go away. So we're going to send them over here away from us and isolate them and they can figure it out on their own. And this is also a result of truth becoming relative. If truth mm -hmm. is relative, it can flip on a dime. So what was true yesterday is not true today. And this, that is exactly what happened in this circumstance. One day it was great for you to be a merchant, to be a teacher, to be whatever it was you were doing. And then the next day, because you didn't do this or have that or didn't think this way or that way, it was wrong and you had to get out of there. You had mm -hmm. to be removed. It's just a fair warning, I think, to everybody. It's a cautionary tale. It's a sad tale. It's a disgusting tale. I mean, because the thing is, like we said, I mean, it took three days before people started turning into cannibalism. In the end, there's still arguments on how many people died. The government says, like, I think 2,000. And some people estimate as high as six. There was a total of 6,700 prisoners that were on record as being brought there. It could have been more. As I said, as you said, on record. Yes. On record... There are 4,000 missing or dead, but that number is substantially higher by all accounts. Yeah. Because if you look at the lead. survivors and you look at the people that they interviewed mm -hmm. and the people that they checked off that, quote, made it, it's a handful. Yeah. There's a lot less. I think there's a lot less survivors than they say and a lot more. Because like we said, there wasn't great records kept on who went. Nope. So they don't know. A lot of people believe that it was more. That the 6,700 that they say was there was maybe, in some estimates, half of how many people were really there. And you had people being shot from across the river. And again, mm -hmm. the guards are standing across the river. And if you watch, you just look at it on a map or watch the videos that people go there. It's not that far across the river. It's not like yeah. you need binoculars and up on some hunting perch or something or up in a tree. You're looking right across the river at them. They're shooting and killing them, watching this all go down, not moving a muscle, not doing a thing, heartless, soulless, sold out to their government's ideology, individuals mm -hmm. who are just as, if not more guilty then the ones who were on the island, who were put there against their will, who resorted to all of this cannibalism, fighting, killing, getting diseases, however they died, and it was all horrific. Nothing was good here. No, it's all horrific. And it really, you know, it's like we said, they say it was for, you know, to punish them, to try and start new colonies, whatever. This was just Russia's way of getting rid of the undesirables. They're the people that dissented. They were the people that were, you know, weren't what Russia wanted them to be. So as we close, I'm just going to give you a couple of prime examples of who got yanked because it did come out in some records. 
There was a guy from Moscow. He was a driver. He was awarded bonuses three times. He had a wife and a child in Moscow. After work, he was getting ready to go to the cinema with his wife. While she was getting dressed, he stepped out to smoke a cigarette, and he was gone, apprehended. There was another guy who was a locksmith. He was a locksmith apprentice. He had been driving to Moscow with a, a treatment voucher, and the voucher didn't help in being apprehended because he forgot his papers. There was a gal who was going to visit her brother in Moscow, and the brother served as the chief of the militia department number eight, and they apprehended her as the train arrived in Moscow. There was a construction worker. He, was at, he worked at a bakery. He had a seasonal passport. And he was apprehended with the passport. And according to his own words, no one at all managed at least to check his documents. They just yanked him and left. And then finally, there was an old woman. Her husband was an old communist chief police officer of the railway system. And he had worked there 23 years. Her son worked there. He was an apprentice engine driver. She came to Moscow to buy a suit for her husband and some white bread. And her documents didn't help her, and they yanked her, and off she went. Yeah. Normal people. They didn't like the way you looked. Normal people doing normal things on a normal day. Mm -hmm. Something to think about, something to ponder, something to comprehend, and do your damnedest to never allow this to happen again. Yeah. Should never happen. Shouldn't have happened to begin with. Should never happen again. Email us your thoughts down the RH at protonmail.com. Down the RH at protonmail.com. We try not to be this dark, obviously, if you've listened for any length of time, but every now and then, sometimes we have to go down a rabbit hole that is a reminder to cherish your freedom, to fight for it, and to fight like hell. Yeah. And this is one of those. And God forbid it ever happens again, anywhere. Yeah. So I got the midweek, and I'm going to be going through what the World Economic Forum had to do and say and talk about in their 2024 convention. And I have a, an amazing <laughs> juxtaposition of when we talk about the elites, we're really going to go into a deep dive as to who the elites are and how they think. Because there was a fascinating poll that came out of the elites and the divide between them and us couldn't be any further. And th it also comes right back to this, because if it was up to them, they wouldn't bat an eye. No. And they would probably agree and think it was a great thing if they just got rid of some of the, of the riffraff that was messing up their posh life. So, it's wrecking the view. I'll do that on Wednesday. In the meantime, I'm Big D. And I'm Brandon. We're out of here. See you later.